As Luke is uh, coming up so he can read the scripture, I want to let you know that I have not become so confused that I don't know what time of year it is. The scripture about to be read to you is a very familiar passage. You've heard it since you were a little child, but you normally think about it as one we read in December. I'm asking Luke to read it today because I think it says something to us on our conversation today about Christianity and world religions. I think it says something to us when we understand how Christ first chose to reveal, how God first chose to reveal Jesus, and to whom. Luke, if you'll share with us from Matthew 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, They were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of God for the people of God. Join with me in a word of prayer. Living in communities, hard work. Because God, we have a tendency to want community to reflect us and our desires and our needs and When we have to be with other people, we have to compromise, we have to understand, we have to relate. Even in matters that are hard for us to compromise or understand or relate. 
And that's just with family and friends. So when we get into this conversation, God, about how we're to talk with other people who worship in different ways, who understand their own sense of the world from a different understanding, it's, it's a challenge to us. Help us be open today to hear something that can help us be faithful representatives of you and of our faith in the dialogue with others and the way we live our lives with others and as we represent the Christian community to the world. I pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We were going to get ready for a for a wedding coming up, and uh, I was looking forward to sitting down, as I always am, with a couple when that first time occurs. Sometimes I'll know every both everybody in the room, but you know, once in a while I'll know one more than the other. But I was surprised on this one when at my first meeting it was just her; the groom wasn't there. That's not usual. I normally work with both. And yet it became clear to me not too long into the conversation why. She had come to check me out. She had come to see if I was safe. You see, the person she was marrying, well, he's not from the Christian tradition. He worships another world religion. And is engaged in that, wanted to be sure before he came to me that she knew that I would be the kind of clergy person who would not try to convert him, sit in judgment about him, argue with him, or somehow dismiss what he brought to the table as less than. Isn't it interesting that the default assumption would be that before the conversation could go further, it was not necessarily certain that I wouldn't do those things? Doesn't it make sense in our world today when you hear the way we talk about each other that, in fact, she did exactly the right thing? The dialogue or lack of dialogue that we have amongst each other, particularly around the world religions, is in fact not easily navigated in this world and oftentimes shows the worst of ourselves. What are we as Christians to think about and to do and how are we to talk and engage with other faiths? Because now we live in a world where, unlike where I was raised in Montrose, the idea of meeting somebody who was Hindu, Muslim, Jewish was pretty minimal. The reality is now that life is we all live amongst each other. And more than that, we hear leaders and faith representatives talking about each other, sometimes in ways that I know must break God's heart. How are we to navigate that conversation? It's why I ask Luke to read you the story of the three kings. Now, it's a Christmas story, and 
we normally keep it there, but I brought it forward to today because I think it starts us down the path in this conversation when we realize what God wanted to do in revealing Jesus Christ to the world. Jesus Christ is born into the world, and in Matthew, it is critically important that we understand the first who came to Jesus, born as an infant in that stable, the first who came to honor him, the first who came to give him gifts, were people not only not of that region, but not of that religion or culture. They were Zoroastrians. They were wise men. They were sojourners from a foreign land, practicing a foreign religion. And somehow it was important for us to understand that in Matthew, Jesus first gets to be revealed to them. And they honor that revelation to the extent that not only do they make the journey to see him, not only do they give him these amazing gifts, but also they keep his secret at their own peril by not going back to Herod and saying where he was. But what about the adult Jesus? Well, what about the adult Jesus? You know, the adult Jesus who told us in this story from, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, John 4, how to engage with people different than us. There was this woman at the well, remember the story, the Samaritan woman at the well, someone whom the Jews despised because of the way that they had not honored or practiced their Jewish heritage and were considered to be outcasts. And it was Jesus who spent time traveling willingly through Samaria to engage in conversation and faith-sharing with Samaritans and there with the woman at the well, intentionally had that conversation in a way that brought about amazing results in her life, in her dignity, in her standing in the community. And then there's Matthew 8, where the centurion, you know, centurion, occupying soldier, not of the Jewish faith, not uh, only not of the Jewish faith, but as one who would come to oppress the Jews in their homeland, when he asked for help, Jesus responded with compassion and mercy and said the way the centurion approached him I have not found greater faith in all of Israel than this centurion has. And then in Luke 9, an amazing chapter of Scripture where so much is revealed. The, the disciples, full of themselves from having some successful, success in some recent missionary work, see some other folks doing things not according to the way in which Jesus had told the disciples to do it. And they were saying, Jesus, you need to call those people out. You need to stop them from doing what they're doing. I mean, it's all good stuff, I know, but it's not according to our catechism. And Jesus said, leave them alone. Whoever is not against us is for us. Hardly the picture of a kind of Jesus 
who wants to completely annihilate other groups of people who don't happen to believe according to a particular creed out of the United Methodist hymnal. In fact, Jesus did say, as his last great commandment to us, that we are to go out into all the world making disciples and baptizing in his name. That is our great commission. But in light of the life that he lived and the stories and teachings he gave to us, it can hardly be construed unless one wants to really twist Scripture badly out of context that that great commission of of making disciples around the world is a militaristic call for us to do battle with people who worship in other ways and call God by another name. Adam Hamilton wrote a book called Christianity and World Religions, and in it he lays out three views in the way in which we can talk about interfaith dialogue, Christians to other world religions. I want to hit them for you very quickly. The first one is called a pluralist view. A pluralist view is this, very simply stated. All religions are basically trying to get us to the same place. We're all basically, in our own different way, doing the same thing. Everything's okay. How many of you have heard that talk, that kind of description of how we're to see other religions? It's a pretty common one. And it's flawed. Normally said by people who don't know anything about the other world religions. There are differences. That's why there's not just one religion. And to say that, oh, it really doesn't matter, we're all going the same place, is to suggest that we disrespect other religions and never bother to take the time to get to know anything about them. What do you mean when you say Hinduism and Christianity are the same thing? Can you explain that to me? Can you help me understand what you know about Islam and how that is paralleled to Christianity? Can you help me understand that? How is it different being a Buddhist from being a Christian? Is there any difference? If we say they're all basically going the same place, they're all doing the same thing, it gets Christians off the hook from thinking we have to engage the answer to those questions. It also gets us off the hook because it suggests somehow we don't have anything to offer that's unique to the conversation, and I want to beg to differ with that. Which leads me to the second worldview, which is an exclusivist view, which says Christianity is the right way, Jesus Christ is the one Lord and Savior, and all the rest of them are going to hell. How many of you heard that language? Which, quite frankly, is an easy doctrine to believe as long as you never pick up the Bible. Well, okay, I know what you're thinking. That's not true, Rick. I hear people say that all the time. They read their Bible a lot. True. And I used to be able, back in the, you know... 70 years ago, no, let's go back further, 100 years ago, 
Um, I could read the Bible and tell you why women have no place in the church. I could read the Bible and tell you why African Americans weren't allowed to worship together with whites. I can read the Bible and literally argue anything to you if you want me to. I'm pretty good at it. Just because I have the Bible in my hand does not necessarily mean I'm really engaging in Scripture. Not the scripture of a God who continually makes places for the sojourner, who continues to send a Messiah who is open to other people and engages with them with respect and dignity. So what am I left with? Well, the inclusivist view. It's the last one, which says this. I'm a Christian. I believe the fullest revelation of God is found in Jesus Christ. I believe, I know, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know Jesus Christ is the truth that I want to represent to the world. Now, having said that, let me sit down with my friends who are Hindu and Buddhist and Islamic, and let's have a conversation. And let me identify what we have in common, because what I'm going to find in the other world religions are places where I go, that feels really Jesus-like. There's a place we can build a bridge. There's a place we can have some understanding of how we can connect with each other. Some other things we don't agree on. And I want to be able to say that too. Because if you're really a friend, if you really respect each other, you can say, I disagree with you on this. And that's the level of interfaith dialogue Christians need to represent. You know my background, for those of you who have been with me for 12 years. You know I lived in India for a while. You know that while I was there in my early 20s, I gained an appreciation for other world religions, particularly Islam and, and Hinduism. And it allowed me to understand that it's worthwhile engaging and getting to really fully understand what someone else believes. And the best conversations happen when I'm able to say, this is what I believe, and the other person says, this is what I believe. Now let's have the conversation. Because you can't have those conversations unless there's a certain level of respect and holy curiosity. We live in a world that has come to believe you can't trust that Christians will bring that to the table. We live in a world where people assume, they assume about you because you're here today, that you're pretty clear all the Hindus are going to hell. And they will continue to assume that about you until you say otherwise. So why would you say otherwise? Well, let me tell you this. I was raised in Montrose, Michigan. You know how many choices of the world religion I had access to in Montrose, Michigan in 1960? One. Christianity chose me before I chose it. In Lucknow, the kids raised in Lucknow at least had options for two. They could either be Islam 
with Muslims or Hindus. But not freely choosing because why would they choose which way they went? Who's mom and daddy? Right? I mean, it's a pluralistic culture, but if you're raised in an Islamic home in Lucknow, you're going to grow up to be a Muslim. And if you're raised in a Hindu family in Lucknow, you're going to be a Hindu. That's a fact. And so the Christians get there and say, y'all are going to hell. Because you were raised in Montrose. Or some of us, when we were teenagers in Montrose, thought we already were in hell, but that's another story. It does matter that I'm a Christian. It matters that you're a Christian. And it matters critically in our culture today that you and I speak up and let people know that we're Christian and then let them know that doesn't mean that we aren't untrustworthy. It doesn't mean that they have to worry about us disrespecting them. It doesn't mean that we don't have an interest or curiosity. It means, rather, that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that matters, and I want to talk about that, but I also want to listen to what matters to you. I want to learn from you. And I will trust God, who's bigger than me, to sort the rest out. And you've heard me say this before, if you've sat under my preaching and listened, and of course that's not assuming the same thing. That over the years I've said to you that I'm not interested in converting Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists or Jews to Christianity. My primary mission field are to all people who don't have any faith, any purpose or meaning in their life, who are desperate and hungry. Those folks, I want to, I, that's who I want to go after. And once I've got all of them... I'll retire. (laughs) Mary, who I love, I don't want to look at her right now because I don't like telling her I love her to her face, but I love her. She comes to me after the, because she knows this is going to happen. She came to me after the first service. She said, yeah, but Rick, let's assume you got everybody converted who wasn't already part of a world faith. Would you really go after the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Jews and the Muslims? Apart from the fact I'll be too tired to even tie my shoes at that point. The answer, of course, is no. Because I've seen too much of what God is doing in the lives of Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus. And, and I'm trusting God's grace to figure out what they need, just like I'm trusting God's grace to figure out what I need. But I at least want to have the conversation. I want the relationship. I want to help build a world where Christians stand up and say, I don't like it when you talk about a whole group of people you know nothing about that way. I want to be part of a church that lives its life to say, those folks are in love with Jesus Christ. And the way I know that is the way they treat me because they get treated like Christ would have treated me, with grace and mercy and compassion and honesty. And humility 
So here's your homework assignment. One, if somebody from another world faith were come up and ask you, what do you believe? Why are you a Christian? What is your answer? What is your elevator speech answer, and what do you say after that? Do you know why? Other than the fact you were born in Montrose or fill in the blank? What is it about Jesus that is attractive enough to you to go ahead and begin to put your life around him? Know the answer to that. Two. What world religion do you know nothing about? Take time to learn it. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm a little biased right now. The world's a scary place. One of the things that's making it more scary is the way we do not understand what Islam really is. We know what terrorists are, but they come in all shapes and sizes, including Christians. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we had Christians in the world saying, we do respect, we do care about our brothers and sisters who are Islam because we understand what they're about. That's why we do take our confirmation class down to the mosque in Dearborn. That's why we do go to Temple Bethel in Bloomfield Hills. And be the Christian who stands up the next time someone says, all them Muslims, tell them to shut up in the name of Jesus, of course. And educate them as to why that is as offensive as saying all the Jews ought to go into concentration camps. Finally, do not be silent. Don't let it pass by the next time someone slurs on a world religion. Do not let someone else represent Jesus in a way that makes other people think they have to be afraid about approaching Jesus. Because we're living in a world right now where our silence is threatening so much. I'm going to invite you to come to the table of Holy Communion. And one of the things I'm going to say, like I always say, this is an open table. Y'all are welcome. Why do I say that? Because it's not ours. It's Jesus. And he never said, you can't eat with me. Y'all welcome to come eat. I'm not testing your theology. I'm not checking anything else about you. I just want you to come and eat. I want you to come and receive this Christ that we offer. And as you're getting ready to come up, I'm going to invite you to consider what it means to know that when you come up, you are being embraced by a Christ who just welcomes you where you are, as you are, and then goes with you to wherever you will go. Come to this table. And let us work and pray together for the day when we'll have a really big table where everyone gets to sit around it. Won't that be a good day? Amen.